Hey there, Leader Today. Today is September 14th, and today on Leadership Lost and Found, we're going to be talking about crisis leadership, how to prepare for it, how to lead through it, and how to survive it. Okay, today on This Day in History, uh, September 14th, 1814, during the War of 1812, Francis Scott Key penned the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, originally titled The Defense of Fort McHenry. I think, McHenry. I, think I need to stand up. I, well, I, yeah. You might. Um, but I figured this was good for crisis leadership because he was there while it was being bombarded, right? And he was a captive on a British ship and was literally writing about what he was seeing as the British were trying to take down Fort McHenry. And of course, as the song goes, you could see the Star Spangled Banner the next day and the, yeah. the, the fort still stood. And the outcome was not well known. I didn't know he was standing on a British ship when he wrote it. Yeah, he was, See, a, I learned I something he was a prisoner. I could be wrong. Okay. Well, you should check that because that's... Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm going to put some top people on that one. that figured out. But we have a guest today. We do. Ladies and gentlemen, we have um, Mr. Kevin Wilson, um, uh, an old associate of both of mine and Randy's. Very old. I'll give you a, a little, little bit of background on Kevin. Kevin... At the tender age of 17, and that was, what, two years ago, three years ago? About that, yeah. Uh, joined, enlisted in the United States Marine Corps after he got out. He well, was... That's because the Marines take people that are underage. That's just, just so you... They like, <laughs> I'm they not like going to let that go. <laughs> Moving on. Um, he eventually, not eventually, after he got out of the Marine Corps, he started the EMT school, paramedic school, eventually police academy, some sort of overlap between those three things. Um, he spent 20 years in, the, in a police department in Missouri. He was a patrolman, a detective, a supervisor of detectives. He was a SWAT team member, a SWAT team sniper, eventually SWAT team leader. Um, And then from there, during sort of, what do you want to call it, moonlighting, he moonlighted in executive protection. Um, I think he might have protected the Jonas Brothers once. Something. No, he's he's shaking his head no. Um, He won't tell us. He's under so many NDAs that he actually can only say four words. (laughs) Yes, no, can't say. I can't recall. Um, and then that after that executive protection morphed into uh, kidnap and recovery. If any of you have seen that Russell Crowe movie from the early 2000s, Proof of Life, similar mm. to that where somebody gets kidnapped and they find a way to ransom them back safely. Uh, Kevin did that for a number of years. He was the guy that carries the money with the briefcase, or the and, briefcase with the money in it and gets you out. Yeah, and a machine yeah. gun. That's right. right? And uh, eventually Kevin went corporate moving into corporate executive protection for companies, uh, specifically as an employee of a company, and then eventually moved into banking where he was doing physical and uh, executive protection security and now works for an excellent company based on Nashville doing everything from physical security, business continuity, um, and at some point I heard a rumor, fleet management. All right, well, welcome, Kevin. So. Thank Randy, you. as we always do. Sorry, I lean back. Randy, as we always do. Let's uh, let's frame it up. Well, crisis leadership. If anyone knows what crisis leadership is, is Mr. Kevin Wilson. Crisis leadership is exactly what it said. Is is the ability to lead through a moment of extreme duress, stress, or exceptional times. And Kevin, you've faced a few of those. A couple, yeah, over the years, yeah. And uh, in leading all of those times through crisis leadership, did you ever think that that was something that you would be very good at? Did you ever think, and growing up, you you have a life of service, you went into multiple areas of service, 
Was it something you always wanted to do, or was there something innate that, that drove you to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think anybody sits in grade school and thinks, when I grow up, I want to be a crisis manager, right? It's something, <laughs> that's, it's something that you uh, sort of back into uh, accidentally, and you find out very quickly whether it's going to be for you or not. And, and importantly, for a podcast like this, the people around you find out pretty quickly whether it's going to be for you or not. Hmm. What have you found that uh, in crisis leadership, what is the main underlying principle or what's an underlying um, uh, trait that you think has to be key in any good crisis leader? Yeah, that's you, a good question. You know, uh, there are so many, but I think if you had to rank them, decisiveness would be the key. People that are relying on you in those situations rely on you to be the, the calm in the crisis and to be decisive. And understand that as you're being decisive that you're going to be second-guessed, you're going to be Monday morning quarterbacked all day long by people that have the benefit of 20-20 hindsight and cool reflection after the event. You said something there, which was being calm, being the cool person. How do you do that in a crisis? Yeah. I mean, I, I, drugs, I know. Drugs, drugs, lots of drugs. You, 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 you'll see the YouTube videos and things like that where, you know, there's a kid standing on a little baby about to fall off a cliff, right? And the dad just swoops in and goes, bloop, and grabs the guy, right? And he was just calm, picks him up, walks yeah. away. And you think, if that were me, I'd be a blubbering mess. And but, well, Randy, you've got like eight kids, so you wouldn't have even, never mind. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And has rescued most of them from a cliff. <laughs> and, yeah. So yeah. I do think that's key. I think you need to decide in whatever your field of endeavor is, what is a crisis? Uh, because there are a number of gradations of crises, right? In, in the uh, IT security field, you know, whether it's a DDoS attack or a big time ransomware or the physical security side, whether it's a kidnap and ransom that may go on for a while or you hear gunshots outside, that's going to be over in a matter of minutes. So understand what those crises are. And then to directly to answer your question, start doing the mental exercises. So what is a crisis and what's an inconvenience? What's a problem? And go through the mental exercises of what do I do in the first five seconds if I hear gunshots? What do I do in the first five minutes? And what mm. do I do in the first five days? And trust me, when you do that, if you know you talk about the K&R pieces and deliver and ransom and things like that, you had better run through those scenarios. What do I do in the first five seconds if something goes south here? What do I do in the first five minutes? And then how do we as a company recover in the first five days after this event? If you've done that mental exercise, when things really get important, your speed to recognition and your speed to resolution will help you immensely. How do you get, uh, a lot of people don't like to think about bad things. They don't want to consider the, what's the worst that could happen. They'd rather ignore it. Um, how do you get executives or leadership buy-in uh, to want to go through a tabletop exercise or a planning exercise or a mock situation? Yeah, so as far as the question about not thinking about bad things, if you're going to be vested with managing crises, you have to think about bad things. I frequently call myself the company pessimist, right? <laughs> uh, because I do. I, I think about somebody oh, coming no, around. Oh, we're never going to make it. Right. Here comes uh, Eeyore. Here comes Eeyore. I, I think they Servers pay me to think about worst-case scenarios and then at least see that iceberg floating out there. And as far as getting uh, executive buy-in, don't sell fear. Uh, come mm. into a room and understand what the potential crises are and the upsides and the downsides of particular uh, action uh, 
but you can't come in selling fear even if you are the company customer. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing you say to, to prepare for a crisis, the number one thing is to think it through. Pick your most likely crises that you'll come across. You know, as you said, Randy said tabletop, you said five minutes, or I'm sorry, five seconds, five minutes, five days, five, five weeks, whatever it is, the three fives. Um, all those sort of, would you say that that keeping calm is because you've thought it through, you've done visualization, whether it's, you know, intentional or just inside your head, you've created a visualization and that makes it easier to deal with the crisis? Absolutely. You know, you, you brought up the background of being a paramedic and the first time I did a cricothyrotomy on the side of a road to, to literally cut somebody's throat. There we go. Uh, for, for our readers at home... <laughs> Cricothyrotomy is when you need to do a surgical airway when somebody is unable to, to sustain their own airway. And uh, it's kind of nervous, right, as you're laying there on the side of the road uh, in the rain uh, as you cut somebody's throat with a scalpel. But the first time I did it, I, I specifically remembered, I've done this a thousand times in my mind, I know exactly what the landmarks are, what the procedures are, what the upside, mm. downsides are, doing this right now, being decisive. You can't wait five minutes and run through a bunch of scenarios before you do that. So that's just one small example, and I could give you a lot of others through the years, where if you've thought about these particular uh, verticals of crises, if you can pigeonhole them that way, they overlap, and if you've done yeah. this, you can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, Preparation and practice sounds key. But, but the mental exercises, because again, in 20 plus years as a paramedic, I did four cricothyrotomies. So it's not something you do every day. Mm. Uh, so obviously that, that first, second, third person had certainly hoped that I had <laughs> yeah. been trained. So on the fourth person, did, did How you, many of you done these, hon, including you? <laughs> on the fourth right. one, did you just like swagger up and say, out of the way, pilgrim, I've yeah. got none. So, and I don't want to belabor the preparation stuff, but you, you mentioned, or we mentioned in your bio here, that you'd done some executive protection in your life. And I, I don't want you to name names or anything, but I also know that you received significant training and even taught some courses in it yourself. I'm, I'm curious... In that scenario, so let's say Randy is our principal and we need to protect him and you're in a, you know, when you're training him, it's all about what do you do in those first five seconds, right? I got to imagine that when they hear the, or the gun or threat or whatever it is, they all instinctively and have visualized in their head what to do at that moment for that first however 30 seconds until some objective or milestone was met. What do you do when you've, you've had that conversation with people and you're the crisis leader? And you've had that conversation, and then it happens, and one of them doesn't. And I, and I know it's a very intense question right around, especially for executive protection, but I wanted to flow into the greater sort of how do you manage in a crisis, especially when somebody doesn't respond well. Yeah, well, that, that uh, tends to triage decision-making, right? If you have plan A, plan B, plan C. Uh, to bring it back to executive protection, if you're moving in a, a protectee across a lobby of a hotel, you pick out landmarks along the way. If we get to this pillar and something happens, we're going to go this way. If you get past mm. that pillar, we're going to go that way. You move somebody or the protectee into another person's area of responsibility. Uh, and if that person were to be looking the other direction or somehow miss their cue, 
again, you find a hole and plug it. That's interesting. So, so you're like literally you're walking across the lobby, and your your scenario is evolving based on the immediate situation around you. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's yeah, and and, and I'm going to keep that scenario. So you've got your four diamond. I read a secret service go. book yeah. once. Diamond formation. diamond formation and guy on the right doesn't do his job, right? He's supposed to head to the left of the pillar and he gets distracted or something like that. In your mind, do you, how, let me change that question. That occurs, how do you as a crisis leader teach to that, right? Where he, let's say that person just lost yeah. focus. It's the second time he's done it, yeah. that sort of thing. How do you, knowing exactly what you could face, say, this maybe, I mean, can you teach them to, get their head out of their butts? Well, so we're talking about crisis leadership here. So the crisis leader has to be prepared for any system, any plan that you've uh, set in place to break down. Uh, and that adaptability, Brandy, I think you brought up adaptability earlier uh, to, to adapt to that situation that's unfolding in front of you separates the, the team member from the team leader. So we've talked about, we talked about preparedness um, talking a little bit about leading through it. Yeah. What about, we talked a little bit about adaptability and you've shown that as you're adapting, as you're walking through the lobby, et cetera. How does empathy come into play or does it come into play in crisis leadership? You know, it's very different from an executive protection standpoint than it is from a company standpoint. Um, you, you have to be geared and wired for what success means at the moment, whether it be for the company or... You had to work that in, didn't you? No. Oh. What does success yeah. look like? God, that's, okay. that's a conversation that Jim and I frequently have, yeah. that, that people will be more successful if they know what success means, yeah. uh, have a clear understanding of that. Uh, so in those uh, monumental crises, you have to understand the ramifications of whatever might be uh, for the company or in those small, minute instances where it might be a person. That's why it goes back to, again, understanding for whatever endeavor you're in, what the crisis, what the definition of a crisis will be. Mm. And then, uh, again, sort of playing into empathy is don't allow yourself to be lulled into the not here, not now, not me mentality, yeah. because it's very easy to, to think, oh, this couldn't be going this south this badly. And remember that some crises will come to you with a big neon sign saying, I'm a crisis, like uh, the Fukushima earthquake and yeah. tsunami. Others are going to come to you as a suspicious phone call, a suspicious email, a suspicious sound, yeah. that it's really easy to say this isn't a crisis and suddenly you're in the middle of it and you're already behind the power curve. Mm. You know, I get very similar um, cyber security incident response advice and I say every cyber security incident is a marathon, it's not a sprint except those first few hours. And you've got to be there and you've got to be on and you've got to be able to be adaptable and respond. And because, decisive. And decisive because the people around it who are not used to crisis aren't thinking in the ways of, you know, do we have this? They will begin to, I like to call it, oscillate out of true, right? They start going, blah, 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 and they come up with great ideas. I mean, I won't say Shut one. everything down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. turn off the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but there's, you look at these situations, <clears throat> any sort of crisis, whether it's you know, a car accident, you know, so something as small as a suspicious email that turns something other, or an accident of some kind that someone might witness or be part of, 
true colors come through. Like in a crisis, yeah. your base instincts come out, the fight or flight. The, are you going to run towards the sound of gunfire or away from the sound of gunfire, right? But I, I, so, do you think that's a natural thing or do you think that can be trained? I think it can be trained. Because I think they train it in the Marines uh, yeah, and no. Army Rangers. I, I think it can be trained time. to the point, but, but there is an underlying value system, I think. Yeah. There's an underlying value system for the individual, and there's an underlying value system for the organization. And uh, Jim used this example a couple times, right? When uh, one of our, our poorly veiled former CEOs named Andy, you know, <laughs> pointed at the wall and said, do the right thing. Yeah, what does our value say? Yes, yeah, do the yeah, right thing. And, and you do the right thing. So when something bad happens to a person or when something bad happens to an organization, the base values come out. Have you found that to be true? Have you found that to be consistent? Yeah, absolutely. And when... When Jim says you can train people into it, you can train the awareness, but again, it's it's different when it's unfolding in front of you. It's yeah. very different. That's why some people don't, A, make it through the training when they do come to the realization that this stuff is for real, it might happen, or B, they, they have that first brush and they decide this is not for them, or others around them decide this is not for them. Yeah. I want to be in the FBI, but I don't want to carry a gun. Yeah. Don't send me to Quantico. I just want to be in the FBI. <laughs> you could do that, by the way. Yeah, right? look can, yeah, yeah, I think so. But you still got to go to Quantico. Well, you still got to go to Quantico, yeah, but yeah. that could be the last time you ever shoot a gun. Yeah. <laughs> the um, bullets come out of this end. Keep yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have, over my lifetime, I have pulled people out of car wrecks. You know, not as a first responder, but been there. I've held, you know, pressure on bloody wounds. I've done really stupid things, you know, to, to, to help others. I was at a football game with my son when he was in grade school. I think he was in fifth grade. And he came off the field and he came over to me and I said, what's wrong, buddy? And he collapsed, mm. just to the ground. I, I caught him and held him up. And it was the first time in my life I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I, and it, I'll tell you for the rest of my life, it's bugged me. I actually, thank God I looked over and our fire chief was right there. Yeah. Matt! Matt! And Matt goes, oh shit, right? And he comes running over and, uh, but I was, I was gone. I yeah. mean, the switch that existed for me that I had helped so many people in my lifetime, you know, jumped up, done whatever, gotten in the middle of something, it was gone. And I didn't think that was possible with me until that moment. So it, it's interesting. What is a, somebody's emotional, mental state in that moment of crisis? And, and I and I wrap this all up, and I'm gonna wrap it all up in an, an empathy burrito, right? Because I think as a crisis leader, you know, not necessarily at the moment where you're shooting the bad guy trying to kill the president, but as a crisis leader, you have to have some empathy, especially with the people that you're leading, right? Mm -hmm. Because I I think we talk a lot about this. We've done a whole podcast on it. The underlying current in a crisis is fear, and if it's well controlled, it's a trickle. But if you don't control it well as a leader, it turns into a torrent and people start oscillating out of truth. Yeah, I wasn't, I actually wasn't going to bring this up because I thought it would be weird. Um, <laughs> oh, are, you, are you just going to let that one go there? Yeah. never stopped him before. <laughs> yeah, right? no, no, but there's a, there's a, actually there's a, a psychology term called holding and, and the, all the jokes of hold me, Kevin, hold me, Jim, right? But Kevin's not a hugger. He's not. He's not a hugger. No. Not a hugger. <laughs> but there's this psycholo psychology term called holding, and and it's where you're you're holding either a, an individual or an institution, 
through a crisis. You're holding them through that, that they're going to feel the way they feel, right or wrong or indifferent. They feel the way they feel, and you're going to have to lead them through it. You're going to hold them through that. Um, you see it too with people that are, you know, doing spiritual leadership or, or things like that. You hold someone through a crisis, you know, you, you walk with them through that. And I've watched both of you guys do this, both individually in your lives and institutionally, where you have held an organization, where an organization, like Jim said, was oscillating out of truth, <laughs> right? And you got to bring them back. You got to kind of ride a little bit of an emotion wave with them. And empathy has to be there so you don't. Because what those folks remember after that's over with, they don't remember all the things you said, but they remember how you made them feel. And Jim and Kevin made me feel safe. They held me. They made this organization feel safe. You they were right. This it. is weird. <laughs> it's true, though. No, I'm with you. No, it, it's true. And, and that's one of the things that when you're able to do that, one, you have clear empathy, even though you might be dealing in very macho things, right, like security and, 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 and executive protection and other things. Not that women can't be macho, but it's very, you know, manly things. But, but the term is true. You're holding that organization, you're holding that team through this crisis. And they always remember when it was done, how you made them feel. And, and they, they, that just ups your, um, your street cred, you know. Yeah, so it's important to remember to say please and thank you in times when you're not in crisis because generally in times of crisis, there's not time to be say please and thank you and and i think in you know think about a shoot don't shoot scenario you don't have time to be empathetic you right, really right. empathy shouldn't play into mind now after the fact certainly yeah and at that group around the table or that group in that environment when you are acting out of the spur of the moment and i don't mean panic because panic is the enemy to yeah. crisis that under can't that's the oscillation of fear right well that's where you're bringing them down you're calming them down they're freaking out they're wanting to do crazy things and you're like, no, no, come back. And, and Jim, you mentioned, you know, you're about Connor, your, your son, you know, and, and kind of falling out with that. I've always been really good in crisis. My wife is not if it comes to our children or me. Like, I remember one time I was somewhere in Fort Campbell. I was cutting a, a slice of bread. I was making a, a meatball hoagie. And I had a really sharp knife, and I was doing the dumb thing. I was holding it in my hand, cutting down across it. And I went to slice the last little bit, and I pulled it back and sliced it, did one of those, sliced my hand wide open. I mean, it went, ow, I closed it. The bread fell in the garbage. And I was like, aw. And my wife comes running in and goes, what happened? And she goes, I dropped my bread in the garbage. And she goes, what's wrong with your hand? And I opened it up, and she went, aw. I mean, she about fell out. I was like, no, this is fine, but I dropped my bread in the you know how bad I wanted that meatball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but but you've got those things where to me it wasn't a big deal, but but when you see someone or something you care about, you can get really emotional. Like Jim with his son, me with my hoagie, or my wife with me, and maybe even you with an institution so, or a person. And again, I keep coming back to the same thing. That's why I define what a crisis is. In your moment, it was that meatball in the crisis, <laughs> right? that, that was a crisis. You, but. <laughs> but but that's why it's also important to be able to rationalize what your thought process was. And I think that, again, that ties into empathy because there's hot wash on all of this, right? Whether it's on the plane coming back from wherever you might be or 
in a conference room with a lot of highly placed people going through it. So sometimes you don't have to be 100% right in the moment of a crisis, but if you can explain to everybody, again, that's going to Monday morning quarterback you, your rationale, and this is what I saw with that narrow tunnel Mm. vision that you frequently get in those crisis situations, uh, you survive them and you live to lead another crisis. So you mentioned values. Like, again, it comes back to, I, I'm hearing you say, we prioritize what's important. What, what do we value? So we make our scenarios based on that thing that we value most, whether it's a tabletop exercise for ransomware, or maybe, hey, Mr. Colin Powell, not that you've ever you know, done that for Colin Powell, but let's say you did. Um, Colin Powell, could, could you, uh, could, could you, uh, uh, help us walk through a you know a, a scenario on what might happen if there's an active shooter or if somebody tries to nab you getting in the car. So again, first five seconds, five minutes, five days after an event like that. Um, again, if you do executive protection as a vocation, you think of that exact scenario every time. What was that sound? Was it a car backfiring, firecracker, or a gunshot? Was it aimed at us? Uh, is that person standing too close and there's a difference between a pie in the face, a brick in the face, a knife in the face, or an abduction? Mm. Uh, in every scenario... Like pie. Where, pie's better. <laughs> yes. uh, all you have to do is Google that and you'll find plenty of examples of those getting past an executive protective agent. And the pie in the face could have just as easily been something a lot yeah. worse. We call uh, those guys fired. we call them former employees you know and typically it is their last day on a protection detail and it's either you know their decision or somebody else's decision but the point i'm making is you move across now uh i'm sorry hotel lobby or out the door to the car you are thinking those exact scenarios you're running through every scenario watching everybody's hands what they're wearing what's out of place the look on their face what's the what's their face tell you about the intent Mm. I'd like to ask you a question, Kevin. In your career, right, it doesn't matter whether it was Marine or, or, or paramedic or cop or executive protection or even now. Have you ever... Don't co- talk about now, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for everything now is perfect. Yeah. Um, have you ever come across a situation that was more of a crisis than it should have been and then you had to assert control? You walked up and said, okay, whatever is going on here has to change. Yeah. Pow, pow, pow. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, and that's, you have to be careful when you use these scenarios, but I have, and you may have heard me even say on an occasion that, look, nobody's going to die here. Everybody's going to go home tonight. So this, in the true sense of things, this is not a crisis. This is a problem. Mm. It's a problem we're going to have to work through and a problem we're going to have to work through immediately, but mm. nobody's going to die here. Chances are we're not even going to be sued over it. Um, and, and again, in my background, a lawsuit is a crisis in, in a number of uh, scenarios. But uh, separating that, we do have time to stop and decompress and use a little bit of calm thought to go through this rather than knee-jerk or panic. Knee-jerk and panic is rarely the So would you the say right thing. the first thing you do is when you come upon a crisis like that is everybody calm down. Take a deep breath. You don't go full ag El Haig and yell, I'm in charge. I'm the president yeah. now. If there's time I'm for the that, captain I, now. I'm uh, the captain Phillips. Captain uh, Phillips. Again, those are more scenario-based. It depends. If there's time for that, absolutely. What's been the biggest 
crisis you thought you were walking into that wound up being a whimper? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, there, there are a number of those hostage situations that turned out not to be hostage situations. He was just uh, drunk at a bar. They were locked in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> sometimes people claim to be hostages when they're not. Um, <laughs> oh, there we go. For, for money? I've been hostage with a couple of Colombian for, prostitutes for six hours to come rescue me. For attention. Uh, oh, oh, even I worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, what about uh, the most rewarding thing about being in crisis leadership? What have you found to be, for you, the one thing that you take away and go, I'm, I feel like I made a difference. I feel like I'm where I need to be. Yeah, it is that that ability after the fact, whether people agree with you or you get a, um, you know, a uh, consensus that people agree that you managed through the crisis in the correct way, that you can explain your thought process and explain the view of what you had based on the information you have. Another thing that's key for crisis leadership is that initial information is almost always wrong. It's very raw. Mm. And what we see is not what we know. What we see is, does not equal what we know. That could be applied to social media in so many ways. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Gather the facts first before you comment. And, yeah, and, yeah, and that those things are going to evolve. And, you know, the, the old axiom of no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. Things change and evolve. The Marines taught you well. You uh, still remember that. That's von Moltke, <laughs> the elder so, from the so, Prussian military. I'm sorry. So things do evolve, and uh, to be that agile uh, leader in in the face of this situation, and to be able to evolve with new and incoming facts, and be able to explain that this may be what it appears, but it's not actually what's going to result in whatever action we may wind up pursuing what's the best advice you could give to someone that was looking at getting into crisis leadership or, or even into a line of work they're going to be a leader and they will likely find themselves managing a crisis yeah i, I come back to the original thing i said just trust yourself and train yourself to be decisive you know there are a lot of flat squirrels in the middle of the road that couldn't make a decision <laughs> all right Don't. left right no left <laughs> Straight don't, ahead. Straight don't, ahead. Don't be a flat squirrel. Don't trust, be a flat squirrel. Trust your training. <laughs> trust your instinct. Always trust your gut. If the hair on the back of your neck is standing up, there's probably a reason for that. Really good reason for it. Yeah. You know, and, and I've recommended this before, but if you ever get a chance, read Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Talks a lot about that uh, that unconscious lizard brain that's sending you signals like that light is bad. Run left or right. Proceeds from that book will also partially go on to continue to fund <laughs> Leadership Lost and Found, which we are out of time. We are. And Kevin, thank you for being here. As always, it is a pleasure, sure, to be in your presence and to be around you. And Thanks Jim, it's okay to be here with you. <laughs> I find your company adequate. I find your company. <laughs> this has been Leadership Lost and Found. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, I'm Randy Fields. I'm Kevin Wilson. I'm Jim Desmond. And you guys keep, keep leading. leading.